run away together. I want to get married. Oh, why? Because I love him. You will be bored of him in two years, and we will be interesting forever. Just because my dreams are different than yours doesn't mean they're unimportant. Little Woman is a story about autonomy as it pertains to the role of women in society and their relationship with money. A story about societal expectations and the conviction it takes to break them. A story about little women with big ambitions, whose marriage to traditional ideals of class and gender and, well, marriage, is ever fleeting. At the center of this narrative are two of the March sisters, Amy and Joe whose relationship of sibling rivalry and indelibly bonded sisterhood is a dynamic that both speaks to their differing viewpoints and life goals in childhood, and their alarming similarities revealed through their maturity. The rambunctious adventures of performed theater stage plays, and afternoons at the beach, and the innocence of adolescence inevitably gives way to the harsh realities of their looming adulthood, a transformation characterized by the growing realization that autonomy and authorship simply don't come easy to women. Joe's search for autonomy begins with her disdain for elegant society. The power that some women reveal in the cut of a ballroom gown or whilst holding up ladylike appearances at the dinner table is a world of restriction Josephine March is simply not interested in. A song and dance that comments on elegant society's way of exacerbating the role of the woman as being entirely submissive to men. An ornament to society, expected to act and present themselves in a certain way, women must view their entire existence through the lens of posturing for marriage, a reality that still seems so far off to the March sisters, unmoved by the concept of courting men at a time and place in which they still have each other. Thank you, Aunt March, for your employment and your many kindnesses, but I intend to make my own way in the world. <laughs> no, no one makes their own way. Not really. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, Aunt March. Well, that's because I'm rich, and I made sure to keep hold of my money, unlike your father. Well, so the only way to be an unmarried woman is to be rich. Yes. But there are precious few ways for women to make money. That's not true. You could run a cat house or go on the stage. Practically the same thing. Other than that, you're right. Precious few ways for women. That's why you should heed me. Yeah, so I can get married. No, so you can live a better life than your poor mother has. But Marmy loves her life. You don't know what she loves. Joe is a writer by trade, and in childhood it served as a bank of inspiration, a tool she used to inspire neighborhood girls and entertain her sisters. For Joe, writing is the truest expression of autonomy. Armed with the ability to create and destroy worlds, the quill and pad have a way of giving its user sustaining power, unfelt before by the likes of Joe. And it's with that power Joe was able to imagine a world of agency, alongside her ever-present sisters, the only form of love worth actually holding on to. And it's this inner want for agency that makes her initially reject Lori's proposal for marriage, a man she considers too good for herself, a woman who loves her liberty too well to be in any hurry 
to give it up. Listen, you'll find some lovely, accomplished girl who will love you and adore you, and and she's gonna make a fine mistress for your fine house. But I wouldn't, all yes, right? Would, I'm, look at me. I'm homely and I'm awkward and I I'm love you, odd. Joe. And you'd be ashamed of I me. I love you, Joe. And we would quarrel because we can't help it even now. I'd hate elegant society. You'd hate my scribbling, and we would be unhappy, and we'd wish we hadn't done it, and everything would be horrid. Is there anything more? No, nothing more. All right. Except that. Teddy, I don't believe I will ever marry. I'm happy as I am. And I love my liberty too well to be in any hurry to give it up. I think you're wrong about that, Joe. No. I think you will marry, Joe. I think you'll find someone and love them and you will live and die for them because that's your way and you will. Now watch. Lori's perception of marriage is rigid and it's what makes Joe's rejection so heartbreaking. In his mind, for her to refuse his proposal of marriage is more than her simply choosing to remain unwed. For him, it's confirmation that she will instead marry another, just like all the other women of similar beauty and intelligence in this society have done before. Her stinging rejection throws salt in the wound. It's essentially a guarantee of marriage to someone, anyone else, someone who isn't him. For Joe, it's even more harrowing than that. Joe had watched in agony as her sister Meg was whisked away, falling abashedly into the arms of another, a man she'll effectively be bored of in two years, as Joe aptly puts it. To lose a sister is to lose a lifelong friend, but also to lose a part of her childhood. For Joe to accept the concept of marriage, to accept the reality of Lori's proposal and the declaration of his love, is for her to accept that her childhood has ended, that her semblance of freedom is over. Amy, on the other hand, sees marriage for what it is, an economic proposition. She effectively learns to play the role of a proper young lady, the only one truly wise enough to absorb the lessons of Aunt March and reach for the prospect of marrying well in a concerted effort to save the family, a proposition that recontextualizes her desire to marry Rich as being somewhat selfless. There's precious few ways for a woman to make money, so for Amy to do what her other sisters couldn't, take the power of choosing who to love under her own terms, effectively removes the emotional component of marriage that for so few women, tragically, isn't. An option. I've always known I would marry Rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? It's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition, because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. 
To be a man is to be at an advantage, an ingrained luxury that fits with them regardless of status, the luxury to waste away talents due to economic wealth that is far less attainable for women, the luxury to marry for love regardless of whether or not it's reciprocated. Lori is the embodiment of wasted talents in Amy's eyes, a man who comes from wealth, a man who was able to love Joe in one breath and Amy in the next, a man who can follow his heart and marry for love whilst women must marry to survive. It's the power imbalance at the center of their relationships to him. But in a way, he also resembles the allure of freedom. He is something that challenged both Amy and Joe's personal conceptions concerning marriage as an economic proposition and the end of their autonomy. Amy, who had fully absorbed the need to throw away love and her own desires in order to be happy long-term, and Joe, who had thought the only attainable form of independence was born out of romantic solitude. What's revealed about autonomy as a coveted resource is that it need not lie in some forced conception of independence in isolation from that which moves the heart, but instead lies in the right to choose the right to be afforded the same luxuries and complexities as the unfairer sex, the right to be a multifaceted being in a world that relegates women to binary roles, like mother, or caregiver, daughter, or wife. Joe asserts that women are more than just tools for love, but in that very same breath, she also reveals the fragile innermost tragedy that simultaneously strikes at her emotional core. I know. She's lonely. You know, I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, they, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and i'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for i'm so sick of it but i'm i'm so lonely It's that loneliness that strikes Joe's emotional core more than maybe any other feeling. In childhood, this feeling had escaped her, held tight by the bounds of sisterhood which seemed so strong then, so uneasily broken. But after losing her sisters to sickness, or to marriage, or to France as a concept, she began to form a very different conception of love and its many forms. The void that was once home to familial love once made empty, gave way to something far from unconditional, but painfully wanting all the same, romantic love. The film shows this in the shadowing of the present and the future. While bathed under the comforting glow of youth, we are free, but also trapped. The decisions of one's past and adolescence that feel so insignificant are product of both innocence and naivete, in adulthood begin to echo louder than they ever have before. Sickness which leads to death, rejection which leads to regret, isolation that leads to loneliness. The act of Joe and Amy balancing their aspirations within the confines of a society that preys on their perceived docileness, on their innocence, is exemplary of the struggle they face both in adolescence and adulthood a grueling exercise in attempting to own 
what ought to be rightfully theirs. Now, there's the question of the contract. Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to give you 5% of the royalties. So I get 5% of the profit? 5% of the net profits after I recoup. Hmm. Well, what about a payment up front? I'm the one taking the risk in printing this book. <laughs> yes, but, but, but it's my book. And if it does well, we'll both make money. If not, I can stay in business. So I get nothing if it fails? No, I'll give you $500 right now to buy out the copyright. Copyright? That's the right for reprinting, that sort of thing. Sequels, characters for other stories. Mm, might that be worth something? Well, uh, only if it's a success. I see. It seems like something I would want to own, no? Didn't you say your family needed the money more immediately? Yes, they do, which is why I wanted upfront payment. No, it's too risky. I'll only pay for the copyright. You keep your $500, and I'll keep the copyright. Also, I want 10% of royalties. 5.5%. That's very generous. 9%. 6%, and that's it. Mr. Dashwood, if I'm going to sell my heroin into marriage for money, I might as well get some of it. 6.6%. Done. And you don't need to decide about the copyright right now. No, I've decided. I want to own my own book. In many ways, youth can act as a burden, something that inhibits us from acting upon the world with a dynamism and cleverness that speaks to our creativity as burgeoning young people. But it's in short order that we form attachments to the prospects of adulthood and all that comes with it of deep-seated dreams and internal ambitions, of leading fulfilling lives and happiness free from circumstance, of freedom not afforded during the awkward age of adolescence. The tragedy of Joe and Amy's childhood, truly, is that it might be the freest they'll ever be, in the confines of a life they're no longer the sole architects of, in a role of living to serve. But of all the lessons Amy and Joe have gleaned from a life as epically mundane as theirs, defined by domestic struggles and lasting moments of joy, the greatest one might be that the search for one's sovereignty is a search that doesn't need to be made alone, a fact that speaks to the unbridled power of sisterhood that is echoed across their lives, from theater performances that would inspire to written stories that would reflect on a life of familial love more fulfilling than the promises of any man's. Mind Theater is a solo effort produced and written by me, Ayo Akinbade. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to show monetary support, the Ko-fi link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Feel like women.